Welcome to today's episode of The Power of Reinvention. I'm Kathy Sharp Ross, and we're here to talk with my guests about the dreams, the visions, and the passions that individuals have every day and dare to explore them. Whether it's business or personal, you're entitled to live the life that you want, and no matter the circumstances, you have the power to create success, fulfill your dreams, and live with passion. That's what I'm talking about. So dare greatly and happy reinventing, folks. Let's do this. Welcome. I'm Kathy Sharp Ross, your host, and I'm excited for Chris Curtin to be my guest on today's show, The Power of Reinvention. Today, we'll touch on business, marketing trends, reinvention advice, and tips from a veteran of the business and great brand and entertainment world. You'll be inspired by great insights from a gentleman who's had massive successes and tremendous reinvention moments. The show is inspired by my book, Reinvent Your Life, What Are You Waiting For?, as well as my Reinvention Virtual Chat series, which launched right after my book in late March last year and in response to my postponed book tour and events, thanks to the pandemic. I hope you'll enjoy today's conversation and walk away feeling inspired to reinvent and with a new sense of what's possible in your life. But before we jump in, let me give you a brief background on Chris. Chris is a unique executive who has successfully led transformative initiatives on behalf of three category leading companies, Visa, Hewlett Packard, and the Walt Disney Company. While he was at Visa, Chris spearheaded the transformation of the company's reputation, um, sorry, reputation and standing, resulting in the company's brand improving from the 20th to the fifth most valuable in the world. In his role as Chief Digital Officer, he led the marketing efforts behind its principal Visa's digital services, moving from less than 1 million to over 80 million users worldwide. He was the lead strategist and negotiator for many of the company's most high-profile partnerships, including the Olympics, FIFA, the NFL, Hudson Yards, and the U.S. Soccer Federation. At Hewlett-Packard, Curtin led the efforts to revitalize the digital presence of the company. And at the Walt Disney Company, he had several roles. He oversaw all new media and media for the destination businesses, including Walt Disney World, Disneyland, international properties, the cruise ships, and guided tour business. And along the way, Chris has lectured at Duke University, the University of Virginia, as well as Stanford's Graduate School of Business. He serves on a number of boards, including at Bloomberg, Spotify, and Georgetown University. He's also a member of the Council of Advisors for the Washington Institute for Business, Government, and Society. And that's just the beginning. So welcome, Chris. So good to have you here. And thanks for allowing me to just brag a little bit about you there, because there was too much good stuff in your history and what you've been doing with your life to not be able to share that. So thank you for being here. No, I appreciate it. It's either you or my mom doing it. So okay, I appreciate good. you well, doing then it. Tell her we're, we're of the mutual fan club. <laughs> and, you know, look, there's so much to be proud of. And none of that comes without a lot of hard work and a lot of intense days and nights. And, you know, it's wonderful to be able to look back on things that you've done and be proud. And, you know, some of those statistics that I shared and the impact that you've had, I mean, it always takes a team, but clearly you've got a very strong focus on, you know, what you've wanted to be a part of for so long. But here we are today 
in a new world and there are new things going in your life. So I kind of want to touch on the old. I want to touch on the new and kind of everything in between. So I'm going to start by asking one of my favorite questions. And that is, Chris, who was little Chris? When you were growing up, did you envision where your life, did you want to be a baseball player, a fireman? Did you want to be a doctor? Did you look at all those people in suits with briefcases going, I want to be an executive? I'm sure at seven years old, you didn't know what a marketing <laughs> brand <laughs> company was. But what's, what's kind of, what, where was that nugget of this incredibly driven and, and strong business directive that you've had? I mean, it's a great question. It's a, it's a, I think in the first instance, I was a firefighter during high school. Wow. So I, I took it, I had an internship um, for a summer where I joined a fire department and got exposed to um, the type of work that they do and um, the importance of that work. And, um, you know, just how critical it is when they're on, they're on and what, what that kind of does to a team's intensity and team's focus. And you can go from, you know, the, the unbelievable mundane, um, to in a moment, a uh, matter of seconds to being kind of in the most intense focus group that you could ever find yourselves around. And I, and I, and I knew kind of early on that that intensity and focus was something that I, I thrived and sought and, um, thrived on and sought. And, um, so I didn't know exactly what I would do. Um, I grew up in in Washington D.C., so I always was drawn to public policy and um, the impact that it could make um, on the world. Um, I also, honestly, I I was an early fan of Disney um, mm -hmm. as a as a consumer. I had no idea that that would ultimately lead to 14 years there, but I was definitely drawn to that. And somewhere kind of um, subconsciously, I realized that um, it was really important for you, whether you're an, an investor or whether you're a consumer to um, really associate with and love um, that brand or business, like understand it, want to buy from it, want to be affiliated with it. I, we had, we have cousins who ultimately started the Motley Fool um, and they were always early on that recommendation wow. of invest in the things that you love, like yeah. invest in the things that you buy, invest in the things that you, you, um, you know, are willing to put a share of your wallet against um, it because in all likelihood, you're not alone. And in all likelihood um, it's both a rational and emotional decision. Um, and, you know, that that's what um, investors want to see. So, I was drawn to a sense of purpose, a sense of impact, a sense of intensity, um, a sense of, you know, um, that each day could kind of be an anti-atrophy drug. Um, and so that that's probably part of the early hard coding of Chris Curtin that uh, would play itself out over um, the course of a couple of decades. I love that. Do you feel like you got to experience when you, especially when you talk about the sense of purpose, do you feel like there was a piece of that in each of these roles that you played at some of these bigger companies? Yeah, I, I think that um, each of these companies, um, whether it's known to the public or not, um, you know, is going through, uh, you know, an ongoing uh, evolution of whether their best days are ahead of them or whether their best days are behind them. And I think people do this as well. It's not just brands and companies. And 
Um, if you look at the best kind of reinventors in, in life, um, it, I think that they are people who, uh, and companies who, you know, view these periods of times as chapters. It's all one book, but it's chapters. And, um, and, and I think at times people kind of flip out and they, they sit back and they think that, um, you know, the book is just one long chapter. I don't think it is. I think it's, it's a series of them. Um, and you know, in all likelihood, they make sense. Um, looking backwards, they don't always make sense looking forwards. And, um, and so I, you know, I, I, I think that's part of like the recipe and the key to success. And I think, you know, the more that you can treat a company almost like, you know, you would treat yourself like, what is my story? Like, what am I focused on? What do I right. care about? What I don't care about? Where do I apply my time? Um, with whom do I apply my time? And how do I make a difference in this world? I had a boss once who said, you know, if you took um, HP off of a product, um, what would that mean to the product? And better yet, if you applied HP to a product, what just happened to that product? Interesting. And, yeah. and it was a really interesting mental model to think through like the power of a mark, the power of a logo, the power of IP. Everyone knows what, you know, if you did that with Apple, what it would mean. But what would it mean if you did it with a brands like HP or Dell or Lenovo or Acer? Like what, what does it mean to be that company's product? And right. I think, I think that's a really kind of useful device. Um, you know, and the same can be said about people. What does it mean to be in this person's presence? Do they make you better? Do they give you energy? Do they give you focus? Um, these types of things. You know, it's interesting because I think as you look at companies that we choose to spend our time with and make those decisions and identify what you just spoke to, all those nuances and characteristics of our own personal brand, I think more than ever, we're seeing people really trying to align with working with companies that really allow them to flourish as who they are as human beings, that recognize more about their whole self. And that's why I kind of asked if you had an opportunity to channel some, some of that interest and, and desire to be a person that focuses around purpose with, you know, the companies that would allow that to be a part of your world, a part of what you did and the work that you do. I mean, I, you know, I know from the work with Visa that, you know, an extraordinary company, it's so interesting as we're going into the Olympics right now. And, you know, I'd love your thoughts on what's happening over there as just as a current event, as we're watching the news and the shift in things that are happening with the athletes and no audiences. And, you know, you were sitting in that seat not so long ago going, oh my God, this is my problem today. <laughs> How do we sort of look at the challenge as a company in having to shift and jive as we've all had to do in the last year and a half? And we're seeing a little micro example of it right now, maybe macro with the Olympics and as a sponsor coming in and not getting that same brand recognition that one would get with the hundreds of thousands of visitors and guests and all the activation points that would have happened using your visa and experience it. So just, you know, kind of hearkening back to your previous role there, you would have been sitting in, you know, one of those many seats dealing with this issue. Any thoughts about kind of like what that, what that must be like right now? Yeah. I mean, I think that um, number one, that um, I think that the Olympics should stand for um, 
uh, as a as a force for good and a force of good, not not just athletically. Um, that's almost taken for granted, and um, it does mesmerize mesmerize the world, and it will mesmerize um, the world uh, very shortly. Uh, there are sports that I don't think I would ever watch absent or outside of the Olympics that I am become just incredibly attached to um, from a storyline perspective and from a competition perspective once the Olympics begin and almost like a circus leaving town. The minute it ends, I, I, my fandom almost evaporates um, at the exact same time. I can't explain it rationally, um, but it happens in, in large part through the magic of the Olympics. Look, I think that the original, um, the, the Summer Olympics that came to Japan before um, the emperor and Douglas MacArthur and others had said, we're going to make a statement to the world and um, that the best days of Japan would be ahead of it. And that, um, that it wouldn't be characterized and depicted as the bombings and um, associated with world war two, but mm-hmm. instead of super highways and of sky rises and of a vital and um, emerging Japan. And, um, you know, I think I think that will that will happen in some way, shape or form with with these Olympics. But I think it's more important that the world rallies behind and around Japan than Japan sends a symbol to the world, because Japan is is going through a really, really tough moment right now. And I think it's a stark yeah. reminder to Americans, at least where where, you know, uh, I'm doing this podcast from that there are different countries going through different phases and stages of COVID. And just like we were um, going through uh, a particularly um, hard time of it and places like, you know, Australia and New Zealand, were looking probably at the United States saying, you know, why aren't the rates better? Why aren't the uh, reactions different? I, I just, I just think it's a stark reminder of the fact that we all live in a marketplace, a global marketplace. And the thing that connects us is humanity, not just athleticism. And hopefully that will be on um, display um, yeah. in Japan. And I know that it, you know, today it was announced that spectators would not be there. I mean, right. I would encourage, I would encourage all non-essential um, staff to, to to actually not go to Japan for for the Olympics um, because Japan needs to focus on getting yeah. through the pandemic. Right, and, and that's the most important yeah. thing. Yeah, no, I appreciate. And they that. don't need to. They don't need distractions. Yeah, no, it's it's a great point. And thank you. Thanks for your perspective on that. You know, it's just so topical right now. I, I could not bring it up knowing that that was, yeah. I'm sure, weighing in your mind as far as, you know, the, the world of things that you were dealing with. Um, so that being said, you are not at Visa anymore because you have chosen to, you know, reach out and explore other endeavors in your life, or as I like to call them, reinventions. And that gets me excited. I think every time someone says to me that they're leaving a company for whatever the reason, I sort of become that cheerleader that jumps on and goes, where are we going? What are we doing? How are we doing it? How do you feel? Who are your mentors? You know, what's the journey? And I love those conversations. I especially love having them on my podcast or my virtual chat series because I feel like there are so many people out there that are going through something similar that are embarking on, whether it's an adventure, whether it's a challenge, you know, it, it comes from very different places for people. Um, but we've certainly had a year of that, a lot of reinventions and, and uh, pivots as people have been going through exploring different parts of their lives and how to do them differently. So 
tell us a bit about your journey. Why and what are you doing and, what, you know, how, how are you sort of muscling through what might be the challenges, the risks, the opportunities? Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's life affirming and um, invigorating. I, you know, um, it's probably shouldn't be surprising, but nonetheless, it is that I think that uh, all too often you can become defined by and as your title or as your affiliation. And um, I'm not sure that that's how, you know, we all approach life. I don't think you wake up on any given day saying, oh, this is who I am by virtue of title, maybe in a monarchy you do but um i think i think <laughs> sure. everyone else doesn't right and um and you know and so I, I think you know the most important titles are dad mother brother sister son daughter like those are really important titles that you want to get really right and, and really invest in everything else is just you know a moment in time i i, I what i'm doing now is things that i have a passion for um, and a real interest in, and I'm able to control that, um, pretty much unilaterally and, mm. um, and be able to get into things either on the investment side or on the consulting side or on, um, the strategic joint venture, um, perspective that, uh, where I think I can play a comparatively large, um, um, impact and, and, and benefit whatever it is that I'm associated with. My brother and I have invested in a professional women's soccer team outside of Washington, DC called the Washington spirit. Right. Um, I'm developing something, um, with Spotify, um, which I'm ex excited about. Um, and I am a strategic advisor to, um, like you said earlier, um, you know, a B Corp that is doing remarkable work, um, reinventing, um, HR and, um, the way we think about compensation and the way we think about payments. And so you take all of these like interesting things and you pull them together and they fill not just my day, but they fill my week. They fill my brain. They fill like my sense of like passion and enthusiasm for what I can do. And you realize how important, at least for me and every person, maybe is a little bit different, but you know, for me, it's really important to be associated with things that are causal, not just correlated. Like I, I want to be part of a team or part of an effort where kind of but for your effort, but for your sweat equity, but for hopefully some form of talent, uh, it, it just wouldn't have happened as opposed to, uh, yeah, I think they were involved in it. And I think they played some role in it, but I can't really isolate the role that they played in making, you know, blank occur that's not as exciting to me as, um, the word of causality. And so, um, what I'm involved in now, it's, it's, it, it's, but for what we're doing, I'm not sure it's going to happen. Right. It's amazing because you are getting to live the passion of your life right now. And it is, it sounds even in your voice and I can see it in your eyes as I'm looking at you that, there is this sense of adventure in what you're doing. And I think you probably wake up every day going, okay, what am I going to do? How am I going to tackle it? You know, it, it's a sense of excitement. I get that every day in what I do for a living. I've been an entrepreneur for 32 years. I call it my playground. And <laughs> I it literally feel like that every day. I go, this is my playground. Everything that I do, every company and brand and person that I'm involved with is in my life because I have chosen for them to be in my life. I, you know, I think we're always a choice. And I think it's really important that we as individuals understand that we are entitled 
to make choices that serve us and that support who we are, who we want to be, how we want to show up in the world. And we may not be able to make all those choices all of the time. It may not be now, but we do have the right and we are entitled to create the life that we want. And if we know that, everything that we can do towards the steps and the purpose of doing that is going to fall in line. And there may be challenges. We may be, you know, a single parent raising two children who are in school and holding down three jobs. And you're going, okay, my dream is to go live on an island. That does not seem realistic. But, you know, (laughs) maybe it's a 20-year plan. And that's okay. That doesn't mean give it up. That means everything you do should be towards the purpose of what that dream may be. So if that means not buying a Starbucks coffee every single day of the year or every other day on your way to work, put that money in a coffee jar, you know, start to look towards the things that are going to get you to that job. Maybe it's getting a job as, as a concierge at a hotel on that island, which will enable right. you to be in that space. You know, there there are ways. And I, you know, I really encourage that in people. I encourage people to be open-minded to think about what's possible and how to live that adventure because there's always going to be some challenge, some parameters, some definitely people in our lives that are going to try to put those barriers up and say, oh, you could never do that. Don't be ridiculous. And, and you know, you can either choose to listen to them or say, I'm going to get the last laugh out of this one. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. And I think that, um, you know, the, one of the secrets of life is to, to effectively get yourself out of any box that's artificially put around you. Mm. Um, and then, and then get into, and then get into a discussion with yourself about, you know, where do you want to be and what do you want to be doing? And, and, and as important as that, how you want to be doing it, right? How, how you show up and, the impact that you make. I, someone told me um, early on that um, a CEO of a company was asked at one of the management meetings that I was involved in, what was his definition of leadership? And he thought for a moment, he's like, well, it's not um, title. It's not size of department. It's not longevity at the company. It's not even the revenue that um, you've signed up for. Instead, it's people who bring energy and focus to places where none exist. Mm-hmm. And and, and, you know, that is my definition of leadership. Like my my definition of leadership, and I've seen it at every level, at every stage, in every category um, that I've been involved in. I've seen people fresh out of college, walk into a room, organize the discussion, advance the discussion. I've seen moms do it do it in, in large group settings at work who are just, just really kind of mindful and intentional about time and just getting to the heart of the matter in a very constructive manner and advancing things. I've seen it, practitioners do it in the sense of that, yeah, they come in as a subject matter expert, whether they're representing the legal department or the finance department or the marketing department, and they're they're sought for their subject matter expertise, but they think through an institutional lens. And most of the problems and challenges that show up at a company or any professional, they're institutional. They're not functional. They're, 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 they're multifaceted. And those people who can sit back and say, you know, I, here's how I would think about approaching it. Um, you know, I think are kind of rewarded with disproportionate influence and voice in a meeting. I think second for me, at least, and this is back to my days in college, I, I just, I fundamentally feel like more, more, um, corporations in particular, should kind of view themselves as a liberal arts education. No one sits back in college and says, wait a minute, 
before you raise your hand, are you a sophomore or are you a junior or are you a senior? Let's hear from the seniors. Yeah, um, love that. No one Great sa- analogy. No one, no one says that. They sit back and say, what's your question? Or what point do you have? Or how do you read this? Or how do you approach mm-hmm. this? And the quality of your idea, the quality of the articulation of it um, is what governs whether people will be moved by it. Yeah. No, that's that's such a great perspective. I love that. I want to ask you something with some of the changes, whether it was from company to company, job to job, all these transitions, and then, you know, where you are now on this on this trajectory. Um, the question of failure often comes up for people, the, the risk reward. Um, you know, I don't believe there is such a thing as failure myself. I feel like it may be a bump in a road, but those are where we really grow from. Talk to me a little bit about, you know, moments of hesitation or moments where you've recognized that you may not have been accomplishing or hitting the stride that you wanted and and how you reconcile what that really means and what you've learned from that. Yeah, I think of failure in kind of in two different ways. The first of which is um, the most successful people that I know are dealing with failure all day long by definition. Um, you know, they could be a doctor, they could be a business, they, they are in the business of failure. Like I was talking to a leading CEO of a company that's a fortune 50 company the other day. And he said, uh, you know, everyone views me because of my title as, um, a default success. And he's like, you know, all I do is spend every waking hour thinking about, how to mitigate failure, avoid failure, confront failure, be involved in discussions that are headed towards failure. Like I am, I am in the failure department because I'm constantly trying to, I'm not chasing the things that, you know, are, are doing well or doing fine. I'm trying to apply whatever gifts I have to the things that might not end up where, um, where, where they could be. And it doesn't mean that they end up as a success, but they end up better than they would have otherwise been. And and so his whole point was like, I, I don't know anyone who's successful who isn't dealing with the shadow of failure um, 24-7, 365 days a year. I will say this, and I think it's you know somewhat provocative because someone told me this, and I and I've I've seen it myself. I think as the as the as the more you kind of advance. I think at times professionally, the the more um, risk averse, ironically, you become because um, you know you your your goal is to become the CEO or your goal is to become blank, and so you just don't want a mistake under your watch, and you kind of have a zero tolerance for a mistake. So unlike the CEO that I was describing, who is like running towards failure, trying to embrace failure in part because his legacy, not just earnings, are will be defined by it. I think that there's a next level down that at times can avoid um, mistakes or sidestep them or not want them in any way kind of attached to them because um, it can blemish their record. And number one, I don't think that's good for the company. Number two is it actually is a um, short changes their abilities um, to be able to expose how talented and how gifted they are. And third is, you know, business unlike the law is the assumption of risk. That That is the definition of risk. The business is an assumption of risk. And, um, you know, and so I, I think you kind of want to find people who sit back and say, you know, constructively, why can't we do this? Yeah. Or, or like, let's take the hill 
and really have it be a hill, not be a tiny little um, speed bump. And um, you just want that. And by the way, it's more fun. And by the way, it's more contagious. And by the way, hmm. it's life affirming. And by the way, particularly younger demographics, they want that in a leader. They don't want a manager. They want a leader. Yeah, I love that. That's that's so profound and, and so such good advice for people to really try to take on. And I think the beauty of these conversations, we've got an audience out there that is looking for the nuggets, the nuggets that they can apply to their life, the nuggets that can help them, you know, take that leap, take a deep breath and go, okay, I'm going to try it on. You know, I always say to people, if you have a vision, you want to run a chocolate store, you want to own one on Main Street, wherever that is. Go volunteer, go, go, you know, spend weekends there for a month, try it on, see how that feels. You may think that you want to be around chocolate all day, but the notion of actually running a store, I was saying that I always say just because you can make a great meatball does not mean you should be running a restaurant, you know, two completely (laughs) different things. So I think for people to really try on and adapt, you know, the, these uh, personas or these, uh, the ability to think differently and to put yourself in circumstances or in the shoes that you want to be in and really try to figure that out, challenge ourselves, push ourselves, and and know that we are entitled and that we're capable and we can stretch beyond the boundaries of what we know. And that's the excitement yep. around that. So it's really important. Um, have there been mentors in your life that have sort of really influenced you in certain ways that, you know, you just keep kind of coming back to or that you really love to surround yourself with? Oh yeah. I mean, I've tried to, I've tried in my own um, inadequate way to pay it forward um, <laughs> because there were people at Disney who just, you know, believed I could do things that frankly, I didn't know that I was capable of. And as a result of their belief, I, I, I attempted to do them in at the same level of expectation that they had in me. And, uh, at, at times I, I, I actually delivered and, um, and I think, you know, when someone who believes in you, um, invests in you and it, it, I don't know that that person fully knows what they do in terms of transforming lives, you mm-hmm. know, and I think that all too often, um, we have kind of a mindset of, you know, Hey, I'm going to go do blank, um, either through charity or philanthropy or, um, you know, an association I have with a particular group, be it religious or otherwise, and to, to transform someone's life. And I don't know that people fully give credit and recognition to the people who are kind of in and around them on Mm -hmm. a daily basis and what they do to those people or what they could do to those people. I mean, I, I, I remember examples, um, at Disney of, you know, having bosses who would forward, uh, things that I had done, uh, to people much higher in the company. And those people would forward it back to me. And I, I just remember I would go through a brick wall for these people because they believed in me and, um, and they, and, and, and then ironically, you, you know, the paycheck becomes, um, you know, a ancillary component, yeah. the ancillary benefit of, of doing what you do, not the primary motivation, uh, for doing what you do. And I, and people forget it's a very human endeavor. Like it's a very, um, you do it for all sorts of reasons that humans do things, not employees do things. Right. Right. No, it's, that's great. I think paying it forward is such a special part. It's something that I've done 
all my life, again, you know, running my own business, being a woman that founded a company 32 years ago, you know, there weren't these women support groups. There wasn't all this conversation about gender equality and pay gaps and, you know, the, the voice and power of a woman. And I just kind of set out to do what I wanted to do with my life. I didn't ask for permission. I didn't know I wasn't supposed to. And I certainly right. asked for what I thought I was entitled to. And it, you know, never sort of struck me that there were parameters and I had to ask permission to, to do that. Um, so my ability and my desire to pay that forward and to share with other women, especially, and frankly, to have a lot of men working in our environment as well is equally as important because I want them to know and learn how to play in that space and interact, respect. I have two sons. They've, you know, they've grown up. We all sat around the dining room table from when they were little doing our, quote, homework. I was doing my stuff. They were doing their homework and they just and mom was always on a plane every couple of weeks. So they've grown up exposed to the equality and the the number of hours and the input in, in the home as well as the workplace right. and seeing that. And I think it's so important. Um, I got a fun question for you. It's one that I always love to ask. So it's going to be completely unrelated to everything we've been talking about, but it's sort of a fun part of getting to know you. Now that we can go back out and have people in our homes, I love to ask people what that perfect dinner party might look like for you, whether someone were still with us, excuse me, still with us, dead or alive. Hmm. Um, If you could have three or four really great people sitting around a dinner table, you know, maybe having a glass of wine, breaking bread, a great meal and great conversation who might those people be that you think may have an incredible impact or have had an impact on you that you'd love a chance to have a conversation with? Is there, you know, three or four people that pop into your mind that you'd love to meet and have that dialogue with? Oh, there's just so many. I, you know, honestly, it'd be hard to narrow it. I mean, my dad, unfortunately, has passed away, but I, so you, you always are oh, tempted yeah. to to, to walk through that door. Um, but not just because of that fact, he was just a remarkable, uh, person and man, I'd love to have him kind of be a part of a conversation that, you know, he could see what his children ended up doing, um, with their lives. So, so it'd be hard for me. It'd be inauthentic for me not to give you that answer. I I think there are others, um, that, you know, the, the, when I was at Georgetown, the president of the university, um, was Leo Donovan. He's now in charge of the Jesuit refugee service, mm-hmm. um, which I'm, which I'm, I'm, I'm involved in myself. Um, uh, but he is, you know, probably one of 10 to 15 or 20 people in the world who is though a world, the, one of the world's foremost experts on art and uh, could, could talk to you about what paintings you should see, why you should see those paintings, wow. where they where are they um, held all over the world, why they're remarkable, the story of the artist, the story of what the artist was trying to communicate and portray, what part of the painting was truly remarkable and why. Um, wow. I, I just, you, you could just literally be captivated. Yeah, you could by, feed off that uh, for a very long time. Yeah, and, um, and you know, so many of the people that I worked with at Disney, I, I you know, it, the art of taking the ordinary to the extraordinary um, and the many manifestations of that, um, you know, I think uh, 
just absolutely um, riveting conversations and, you know, having their, their interactions with people like Steve Jobs and, um, you know, Pixar. I mean, just, you could go, we, we could have a phenomenal, <laughs> phenomenal yeah, <I> <laughs> dinner party. I also, uh, I'm drawn by um, speaking of refugees, uh, some of the people that I met um, with and through Visa, Yusra Mardini is a Syrian refugee who, um, she, she and her sister were in a raft across, coming across the Aegean Sea and it started to capsize and they were the only two who could, who could swim. They, they, they pulled it to shore, wow. um, successfully a German swim coach heard about them. Um, and she ended up training in uh, a swimming pool that, uh, once, um, was a possession of Adolf Hitler. She then qualified for the Olympics and she was part of the world, the Olympics first refugee um, team and competed in, in, in Rio um, de Janeiro. And um, there are just so many of those types of stories where I think, um, you know, if, if you could just sit them down mm-hmm. and as a father of three daughters, um, have them hear these life stories and um and see just how remarkable life is not just because of people but also what life has done to people and how they've reacted the to it human because, spirit. I think as a, yeah i think as a parent in particular you know the most important thing that you can do back to your point about failure with your children is teach them how to deal with failure it's yeah. not teach them how to deal with success i mean no. yeah you, you want them to have humility you don't want them to be arrogant you don't want them to have it be assumed but really, I think as a parent, what you need to do is to sit back and say, hey, have we given everything that we could to ensure that when the setbacks occur, you're capable of dealing with it? And um, and you've got the tools to be able to, to deal with it. So I would love to have people like that at the dinner table. I love that. You know what? It's There is so much to be said about those people and the reason that you want them around you. And the lessons learned and the inspiration and the depth and richness of those conversations and all that we can get exposed to. So th- thank you for that. Are there any um, books or podcasts or anything that you're listening to at the moment that, you know, are inspiring you in in any way? Well, I just, you know, I, I, I read a book about um, Churchill that I think, you know, fits well with with the discussion that we've had, I mean, here's a person who, um, you know, wasn't, wasn't a major success in politics until later in his life. And then he became one of the most central figures in the history of the world. Um, and certainly his nation and certainly Europe, but I would argue the world. And, um, and, you know, and then afterwards, um, went off to become, um, a world renowned and acclaimed writer and then a world renowned, an acclaimed artist, and artist. then he returned to politics. Yeah, and these were all kind of in the sunset years, um, theoretically, of his life. You know, we have a tendency to sit back and think that um, the most remarkable are the John F. Kennedys. You know, in terms of age and youthfulness, and and then you look at you look at someone like Churchill, who was um, much more you know kind of seasoned and uh, mature, at least from an age perspective, before these moments happened to him and because of him. And, um, and then I'm just fascinated by the fact that in between these two stints as prime minister, he both on the literature front and on the art front, um, he became as, um, successful as, as, as he was. Yeah. 
Oh, it's amazing. I was able to see the film that he was in. Um, I haven't read the book, but I've had a few people actually mention, you know, how profound it was. So I might have to pick that up as well. I love <laughs> yeah. that. Any other podcasts or things that you're watching or tuning into that are feeding your soul these days? Anything else? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of um, Spotify's, as I mentioned earlier. So I'm, yeah. I'm listening to a lot of different um podcast in that respect to really kind of understand, um, the craft of, of storytelling. And right. I am, I am, I am so drawn to it. I, I, I think that there's a narrative. I think that there's a delivery that I probably didn't fully appreciate. Um, and you know, and I think that there's something about, um, canceling out other senses and, and focusing on, um, listening that just kind of almost like reading just kind of enriches your life in mm-hmm. a way that um the visual just is you know we get we get too bombarded and right. um there's too much kind of cacophony um yeah. out there that for the for the mind to kind of sift through and i just think that there's you know it sounds like semantics but the difference between listening and hearing oh, um big difference that that I think is so important for, for all of us and to really kind of like appreciate what someone else is saying. And I think back to the dinner conversation, like I, it, 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 it pains me personally to see some of these differences, um, you know, in, in, at least in, in national politics. Now, some of it will, will come and go, but so much of it's artificial and mm-hmm. some of it is just us kind of talking past each other totally in a way that, um, just doesn't allow for um, kind of a constructive outcome where right. we enrich one one another as opposed to we shout at one another. And right. um, that's I not think how a lot of works. people aren't listening. They're too qu- they're they're focused on what they need to say and their point and getting it across instead of really opening up and listening to what somebody else is saying and trying to understand that, having some empathy, having some sense of greater perspective. Um, so right. it's a great point. It's, it's funny. I talk a lot about listening in my book and I talk about us needing to listen to ourselves and that's a gift that we don't give ourselves very often. You know, the ability right. to just be in the silence, to be in the presence, to be able to understand there's a chapter called, hello, are you still in there? And that ability to tap back into who we are, what we want out of our lives, who wake up 20 years later going, why am I doing what I'm doing? And, you know, you ask most people, they're not very happy in their lives for one reason or another, but that's a sign that it's time to start listening to ourselves (laughs) and trying to tune in. And so, you know, it starts with us and it starts with the ability to listen to ourselves and the ability to listen to others and be able to create those connections that are greater, to open our minds up, to be not so sad. I mean, you know, there's a lot to be said for that. I love that you took it there. Yep. Well, Chris, I hate that we're coming to the end of our conversation because I feel like we're just starting to scratch the surface on some pretty amazing topics, but I know you and I will continue to have them even offline. I'm so grateful for you being here, sharing some of yourself, some of these incredible nuggets of both insights and wisdom that you have with the audience. Um, Any sort of final thoughts, anything else you do kind of want to leave our audience with? You know, uh, first of all, thank you for having me. Uh, I absolutely loved it. I wish, like you said, it could continue and hope and intend for it to continue. Um, I think one of the only past, uh, parting thoughts I would have is that, 
you know, I think that a lot of companies right now are thinking through uh, what does return to work look like? And, you know, as an artificial moment in time, uh, I, a part of the uh, background to that discussion, debate, dialogue between employers and employees is, you know, what does better work look like? I mean, that's the implicit mm. point is what does better work look like, not just yeah. return to work. And, you know, I think I think um, we should all be asking ourselves that as well, right? Um, in part because of this pandemic, um, which no one wanted, no one saw it, but it happened to all of us. Um, you know, what does the next 10, 20, 30 years look like for us in, in a way that is better in some respects and, and richer in some respects than the past 10, 20, 30 years? And what can we learn about it? And what can we apply to that? I think that's, don't just export that question to your, to your company or to your HR team, like take, take stock of that and answer it for yourself. That's great thinking. I mean, I feel like it's such a topic right now, especially I think three, four months ago, people were saying, oh, we're going to return to work in the fall. We're getting really close to that time now. We're getting close to the right. reality. And, you know, whether it's our own teams, whether it's the company's policies, we've got to figure out what's really going to make sense and what's going to work for us, you know, from a humanity standpoint and from a work product standpoint and from a social engagement and mental health point of view. Um, there are so many nuances around that conversation that really, you know, it's going to be very interesting to see how things trickle back out and, and we sort of level set for that new, that new norm, as they say. Um, <laughs> so thank you. Thanks for addressing that. Well, look, I'm afraid we have to wrap this up. Uh, we will continue the conversation, you and I. There is no doubt about that. I'm so grateful for the audience. Thank you, everybody, for being out here and tuning in to Chris and I today. Um, for those that are listening, if you want a further dose of inspiration or motivation, feel free to tune into the Reinvention Virtual Chats, which are every Tuesday afternoon. You can go to the website, thereinventionexchange.com, and all the details about the virtual chats are on there. And certainly feel free to pick up a copy of my book, which is Reinvent Your Life. What are you waiting for? There are 30 amazing interviews in there with people from all walks of life and 26 power tools to sort of set you on your own course to figure out how to reinvent some part of your life. And I'm just thrilled to have everybody here today. I'm so grateful. Happy reinventing everybody. And thanks, Chris. Thanks so much for today. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Power of Reinvention. If you enjoyed this episode, please head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Wouldn't mind a five-star review. It would be greatly appreciated. Also, be sure to visit thereinventionexchange.com to share your reinvention stories, suggest a guest, join the newsletter mailing list, get access to my book, which is called Reinvent Your Life, What Are You Waiting For?, and discover fantastic bonus content with my blogs and listen in to the Reinvention Virtual Chat series. Don't forget to join me next week for another episode. Please share with a friend and thank you for listening. Happy reinventing.